tremendous. I love that last line. The greatest love story. You can't write a love story like this love story. It was written before the foundation of the world. Amen. We're just playing out the last chapter. It's wonderful to be a part of it, isn't it? Amen. Forget about your troubles. You're in a love story. Our God's in control. There's no storm too powerful. Our mighty God is the one that's working it all out according to his perfect will. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. If you have a need, why don't you just hold it before the Lord and say, Lord, direct the word by my way tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful to be gathered together this evening with saints of like precious faith, real believers who love your word, who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, who have come together in the name of Jesus Christ because they know, Lord, that you are here as you have promised. You have never broken your word. You always do keep us and come into our midst. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the service this morning. And we invite you, Lord, once more to come amongst us as the one that knows our very heart's desires. Lord, you know our needs and you're able to speak directly to them. It's not the man that stands behind the desk. It's the God that stands behind the man. And Lord, may you just take control of this service this evening. We love you. And we just want to yield ourselves to you in the reading of the word and the speaking of it. May you bless it for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, Brother Derek. See, I, Sister Joanne, I didn't have to remember the name of that song. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Always forget it. Our God is tremendous. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Book of Romans, Chapter 8. Remembering the brothers that are away, Brother uh, Tom, Brother Michael in... Texas, Brother John in, is in Seattle this evening, ministering there, and uh, almost had Brother Murphy come and sit on the platform tonight, 
Uh, but uh, I had mercy on him. He said he doesn't like it up here. <laughs> not, to, not to sit on the platform anyway, but maybe we, we sure enjoy his ministry though, don't we? Yeah. Amen. Romans chapter 8 is where we're turning tonight. And just read a few familiar scriptures. My heart dropped this morning when Brother Biscoe, uh read his opening scripture. Because that was almost going to be my opening scripture. And uh, I thought, oh mercy, where is, it? where is he going this morning? But you'll see the, the, service, the messages are complementary, though not necessarily exactly the same. I want to speak on, Lord willing, faith in the perfection. Faith in the perfection. Romans 8 and verse 29. For whom he did predestinate, he also did, for whom he did foreknow, rather, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's a powerful statement right there. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. I think it's already been announced, Young People's on Friday at 7.30. Now, I just want to take a, a simple thought tonight. That we, the Lord certainly gave us some uh, wonderful things to ponder and to consider in this morning's service. And, and perhaps our thoughts are still there. And so I, I just want to speak about some of the basics of Christian life, in particular uh, faith, which is revelation. And, uh, you know, there are... Some real basics. There's a, lot of, there's a lot in the Scripture. There's a lot that pertains, as the Bible says, whereby are given unto us many great exceeding precious promises, whereby we might be partakers of the divine nature. Many promises. Great and exceeding precious promises, the Scripture says. But there are basics to Christian life. And we know that it doesn't even start until you're born again. Which is the nature change, the real, the real new birth that puts you in the family and you can never walk away from the family. Amen. Which is the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. Amen. Can you hear me out there okay? I'm thinking you can't hear me because I'm not hearing you. And, uh, but, you know, we have, we have been born again by the incorruptible seed of God. That's a basic. You know, we, we could talk about faith. There's one faith. That's a basic. There's one revelation. We could talk about character and how that the process of the character. But as we look at the scripture that even Brother Biscoe, we won't look at it, but we'll refer to the scripture that Brother Biscoe referred to this morning and how that, you know, Jesus said to the disciples and he said, you know, 
Who do men say that I am? And they had all kinds of ideas of, uh, uh, or they had heard all kinds of things or comments. He's this and he's that and he's this. And different ones that had their own ideas that came from flesh and blood. One heard it of another and, and uh, maybe a group had, were looking in this direction. Another group had an opinion in another direction. But when he said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? It was Peter that spoke up. And said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonas. You know the scriptures. And how that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. And I call you Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. What was he speaking about? The rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because the, the new birth is the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. Now I'm just going to make a statement here that I never thought about till this week. But I, I'm just going to make a statement here. And, and uh, uh, I'll let uh, uh, others decide whether the statement is true or not. But if they had been on the other side of the blood. That is to say, the other side of Calvary. Now, they were on the side of Calvary that they were still under the blood of bulls and goats. And under the blood of bulls and goats, the sin could not be purged. The nature could not be changed. So there could not be a new birth. But if they were on the other side of Calvary, when that revelation had struck Peter, the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to him, it would have changed his nature. Because the blood of Jesus Christ made a way for the Holy Spirit, the life that was in Christ, to come to the believer. But on that side of the blood, under the blood of bulls and goats, revelation could not change the nature. Revelation could strike the predestinated seed. Revelation could do some sort of quickening, but they could never be purged, the scripture says. Their conscience could never be purged from sin under that type of blood. Because the innocent life of animals could not come back on the human being. But when God provided a lamb, when God provided a sacrifice, then when the revelation of Jesus Christ would strike, then the new birth would come to the individual the nature would be changed the life would be transformed so God gave Peter that revelation and by that revelation gave him his position in the body as Peter as Jesus said to Peter I give to you the keys of the kingdom all right you're going to open the door you're going to preach on the day of Pentecost and you're going to show them who Jesus Christ is you're going to be the one that's preaching to the Gentiles that when as you even preach the word the Holy Spirit will fall upon them you're the one that's going to go down and lay hands on the Samaritans I'm giving you the key that's going to unlock the door to the life of God into this world under a new testament or a new covenant you see revelation is what gives you your position it's not just predestination predestination is what you were in the thoughts of God but it takes revelation to take you to who you are 
That's why you'll never, never reach or attain to the level of a prophet of God. In particular, the word prophet messenger that comes to the last church age. We have the same word. We have the same message. We have the same truth. But God will never give you that revelation because that's not your position. And so God dealt with Brother Branham in a very specific way because as we heard this morning, he would speak through him to this last age and give us what we have need of to come to the revelation of who we are. Because when we recognize who we are, that is when we become invincible and the devil doesn't know what to do with us. Amen. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to us. Amen. So Brother Branham says it this way in Christ the mystery of God revealed. He says that's Peter, the predestinated seed of God that had received this light and given the keys to the kingdom upon this rock of revelation of who Jesus is. He's the full manifested God upon this rock not a Father, Son, and a Holy Ghost, and Him being the second person. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will never shake it down, never prevail against it. Now I just say, it's just as strong today as it was then. When I received that revelation, listen, you couldn't talk me out of this message. Because it was a revelation. It was not an intellectual understanding. It was not something that I, I grasped in my mind. I wrestled with it. Like many do wrestle with it. We'll come to maybe the wrestling in just a moment. But we wrestle with different thoughts. And we wrestle with different things that we hear. And trying to understand it. Because we, we, we try and filter the word of God through our own spiritual capacity, reasonings, imagination, constant memories, affections, all of these things, which is our culture and our education and the way we're raised in our family and the type of understanding that we had and the things that were being taught, even as the disciples, when they had come down from the mountain, uh, uh, they asked Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elias must first come? Because that is what they had been taught. They were not looking, you see, the Jews were not looking for the Messiah, they were looking for Elijah. Because once Elijah came, he would show them the Messiah. But they didn't realize John the Baptist had fulfilled that. And it pointed them, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But you see, their understanding had been molded in a certain way. And that's why the Word of God has to come with it like a sharp two-edged sword to separate you between your soul and spirit. Because in your soul is who you really are, and that's where the revelation comes is to the soul, not to the spirit realm. But when it drops in there, it takes control of the entire being. And when a, when a son or a daughter of God is born again under the light of out, the hour, there's nothing that can change it. There's nothing that can change it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's a rock of a revelation. When the revelation struck Luther, I was in Germany recently, and I, was, I had a chance to be where Luther uh, was and where he made his stand and all of those things and I was telling the young people at the school in a devotional time I said what caught a hold of Luther was that what he was confronted with and I said what he was confronted with was the reality of life and death at a real young age and oftentimes our young people don't are not confronted with that 
We've got medical science. We've got a, uh, a long life expectancy. And, and uh, you know, we've got so many things that, to help us get along in life. But Luther was confronted with something called the plague. And at a young age, he was, now there was no major outbreak of the plague in Luther's age, but it would strike cities. Well, it happened to strike the city that he was going to college to. Now in the plague, up to half the people would die within months. Let me just say it this way. If the plague struck Cloverdale and we were living in those days, we would expect that this church would be cut in half of its size. We might say, I don't know how many in this church, 500, 600. It'd go down to 250, 300 within months. That would get your attention. Luther lost his best friend. And then losing his best friend, he, 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 he's confronted with something. He's just a young man. But he thought, what if I die? What if it's over for me? Then what happens? Then what's my life all about? Then what's important? It's not video games that's important. It's not the fashions of this world that's important. It's not the career that's important. It's not, it's not the, the pleasures of this life that's important. It's not, oh, woe is me, I don't have something to wear to church. That's important. Now what becomes important is, I could die this week. I could get this plague and it could be over for me. Listen, God's no more real back then than He is now. It's just Satan, out of the tree of knowledge, has distracted people's minds that there is another realm. And this life will end one day. And so he began to seek God and he was, he was stuck in a thunderstorm he, on a trip between two towns. And a heavy thunderstorm, lightning storm struck and... Uh, and he was, he was fearing for his life and he called out to all that he knew, which was a saint. He cried out to a saint because he was Catholic. He says, and he cried out to, I think, St. Cecilia. He says, oh, St. Cecilia, if you save me, I'll become a monk. And you might say, that's paganism. Let me tell you this. God orchestrated that sure. to put him in a position that God would prepare him to become the messenger for the age. Because it was only in the monastery that he would have unfettered access to the Word of God. Because the general population didn't have the Word of God. Like we have the Word of God. We're a blessed people. And so the Word came to Luther. And that revelation struck him. The just shall live by faith. It was the quickening of the word of the hour that enabled him to stand before, I was explaining it to the young people, stand before the council. Listen, and, and Luther standing before the, I hope this is okay. Yes. Luther standing before the council is like you standing in the Congress of the United States of America. It was the highest authority. The king was there. All of the, the rulers were there. And it was life and death. What you're going to stand for, if you say the wrong thing, you're going to die. And he stood there on be, uh, in defense of his 95 thesis and in, in defense of the revelation of the word. And stood there before them, and many of you have seen the movie about it. But as he stood there and they told him to recant, he says, I cannot recant. I will not recant. 
I stand on this word alone. I stand on God's promise alone. Here I stand, he says. You know, I got no other place to stand. And that's the way it is when the revelation of the hour strikes any believer. Their family comes against them. I was telling a young sister here the other day. I don't know if she's here. Sister Rhea, I was telling her the other day. I says in, over in India, there was a, a young boy that was saved in the Punjab. And, and he was just, a, he was from a Hindu family. And he, and he got quickened by the word of God. And he, he had had his sins forgiven. His life had been changed. In his, but his family was Hindu and they said, you must recant that. You must let it go. And they said, furthermore, we're not letting you out of your room until you do recant. And they locked him in his bedroom for three months. And said, we're not going to let you out unless you let go of that idea of Jesus Christ. And after three months, when he was still saying, I will not let it go. I will not turn my back. Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. Finally, the parents gave up and says, all right, we'll let you out. Praise the Lord. Somebody that knew where he stood, why he had been quickened by the Word of God. And Brother Branham goes on in Christ, the mystery of God revealed. He says, look, Christ, Christ's life in you makes him the center of of the revelation. Christ in the Bible makes the Bible a complete revelation of Christ. And Christ in you makes you the complete revelation of the whole thing. See what God's trying to do? He says, you say, well, Brother Bradham, what is the new birth? Then he says those words. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. Not joined a church, you shook a hand, you done something different, you said a creed, you promised to live by a code of rules, but Christ, the Bible, He is the Word that was revealed to you. And no matter what anybody says or what takes place, it's Christ. Pastor, priest, whatever it might be, it's Christ in you. That is the revelation the church is built upon. And he's still building his church today. That's why Brother Joe Waldner is sitting there saying amen because he had to leave the colony with that revelation. He couldn't walk under the dogmas of the system that he was in. That's the reason I left the church I was in. That's why many of you left the church and many of you walked away from the things of the world. Why? Because Christ became revealed to you personally. It's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. So then the message which is Christ, then the revelation of the message of the hour quickened to you is the new birth. All right, And that's something that, listen, regardless of the emotion that accompanies it, regardless of the experience, and we've all, if you've walked with God, you can't walk with God but experience the supernatural. Listen, I'm not saying it's an intellectual understanding. No, it's a supernatural something on the inside of the inside. When you see people walk away from the message, which is to say walk away from Christ. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's the reality of it. When they, say, when they walk away from Christ, there never was a reality of a birth in their soul. There never was an anchoring because when a person is anchored in Christ, there's no way they can walk away from it. Because if I'm there, he's there. 
Or if I'm there, he's there. Wherever I go, he's there. You can't walk away from something that's a substance on the inside. Because that's what a revelation is. Because you cannot get Christ any other way but by revelation. You're saved by faith and that by grace. Faith is a revelation. God recognizing your faith gives you the Holy Ghost. All right. Like I said, it's simple tonight. You still with me? All right. So then as, as Christians, and we realize that we have a wrestling in our lives. Anybody wrestled with the devil this week? I wrestled with the devil this week. We all wrestled with the devil this week. Because he's on your case. It's the greatest battle ever fought. He comes to your mind. And he tries to counteract the effect of the word in your life. That's why God sends the spirit into each age or each era to combat the antichrist spirit of that era. God has an anointing for us in this hour. But many times we, we wrestle with things and, and we, we wonder because we see the promises of the Word. And I'm just, forgive me, I'm just kind of looking for the right way to say this here. And we, we, want, to, we want that our faith would be enough to accomplish what we want it to accomplish. Alright? But really we look at it the wrong way. And I'll just say it like this. We, we sometimes wonder about how to appropriate the faith to accomplish a certain something. But rather, we should just be looking at it as we have the faith that God has given us. Because the revelation that you have is sovereignly given to you by God. It's not of your effort. Yes, you, God arranged for the Word to come by your way. It quickened you. It gave you a hunger and a desire for more of God. And we should always want more. And our objective is to dwell in, in a faith that is perfected in our lives. A faith that is, is even taking us all the way to rapturing faith. And we realize even in the beginning of Brother Branham's ministry, as he, as he saw the miracles that was in his ministry, he, saw, he said, you know, things like, you know, seeing these miracles, miracles that we see in the ministry it ought to bring us rapturing faith but it didn't bring rapturing faith and many times when we try to to see the miraculous in the supernatural of God and if you walk with God you will see the miraculous you will see the supernatural the object is not to strive for the supernatural and the miraculous the object is to strive for the walk with God And so as we walk with God, those things will come, but those things do not produce faith. Faith produces those things. And so if there is written in the Word a rapture, then there must be a portion of the Word that is for the rapture. And as Brother Branham went through the stages of his ministry, he began to see that it was actually going to take miracles to produce faith because miracles actually decrease faith. I like to stop when I say that. Because it's often it's like, how can miracles decrease faith? The angel of the Lord came to Brother Branham in the early part of his ministry as he was having miracle lines. 
And, and uh, uh, he was just staying with it, trying to, to get the people to see God so, so supernatural that there would be a miracle in every service. And so that was the design, but God began to rebuke him and even sent the angel of the Lord to tell him, don't do that. Because if you keep that up, it'll come to pass that the people won't believe unless they see a miracle. So promoting the miracles was decreasing faith, not increasing faith. My. In other words, he's, the angel of the Lord was telling him, you're hurting the people by promotion of miracles. Now again, I'll say, we believe in miracles. We believe in the supernatural. We see them. If, maybe if I get a chance, I'll tell you about one that took place just this week. But, it, but in, the, in the big scheme of things, we have to realize the number one thing is a revelation that God sovereignly dropped within us that I am a child of God. It has changed my nature and the things that I love, I don't love no more. And the things that I never had any interest in, now that is the center of my interest. The eternal things. We've been seated together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So our walking with God is going to change our faith because faith is a revelation and only God can give a revelation. Brother Branham says in the Church Age book, he says the importance of revelation by the Spirit to a true believer can never be overemphasized. Now that's a powerful statement. The importance of revelation in your life, even as we heard this morning, the revealing of the Son of Man, the importance of that to you cannot be overemphasized. I could spend the entire service on the importance of revelation in your life. I can never overemphasize it. I could bring all kinds of proofs and quotes and everything about it and still not overemphasize it. You need revelation. If you need healing, you then you need revelation. Because God already healed you 2,000 years ago. But you need a revelation that that's for you today. You need a revelation that it's already paid for. You need a revelation that you're in possession of it. You need a revelation that the devil can't stop you. It's a revelation. And it comes from God. And he sends it to you by his word. You got a problem in your marriage? It gets quiet now. You need a revelation. You need to get, and Brother Brown says you need to pray for revelation. He says revelation means more to you than perhaps you realize. And so, you know, you've got a problem in your life. You need a revelation. You got difficult situations that you don't know how to handle. You need a revelation. Oh, you can go to school. You can go to university. Listen, our young people are battling more things than, they, than young people have ever battled. And as parents, we don't need education. We need revelation. We need a revelation that takes us beyond. Listen, the world thinks they know how to handle it. And what's happening? It's getting worse. So they educate more and it gets worse. And so they educate more, and it gets worse. Education is not the answer. Revelation is the answer. May God give us wisdom. I was just praying about it this week. Lord, give us wisdom. My son has reached another stage in his life. He's too young yet to know that, I'm, that he's a minister's son, and that he gets called over the pulpit. <laughs> 
uh, you know, my five-month-old son, he's, he's, got, he's reached a stage, and I won't say what stage that is, but he's reached a stage that's difficulty. And I was praying this week, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me the revelation of what, how to best handle this situation, because the last time I handled it was a long time ago. <laughs> and I said, furthermore, Sarah has never handled it. And so give us wisdom, because this child is different than any other child. Are you with me, parents? And it doesn't matter whether it's five months old, five years old, 15 years old. We need the revelation of God. Amen. I'm glad he wrote the manual. But you can't understand the manual unless you know the author. So as believers, sons and daughters of God, let's be honest here. Let's be real, real honest with ourselves. Is Kyle here tonight? Yeah, here it is, right here. <laughs> as soon as I do that, it reminds me of Kyle. But you know when Being honest with ourselves. What is happening in our lives? Listen, we understand whom he foreknew he did predestinate. It's all already written in the mind of God. So what's the problem? The problem is we're trying to come to grips with that. We're wrestling it out because we were born in sin. We were shaped in iniquity. We came into the world speaking lies. We grew up with a sinful nature interpreting the events around us by sin. But then by the new birth our nature became changed. Praise be to God. Now we reinterpret all things. Now we understand differently than we ever understood. Now we see things differently than we ever saw them. And because of that, we're, we're coming to grips. Listen, I don't know about you, but I often love to just ponder when God says, and when Brother Branham brings it to light, that we are amateur gods. That we are creators. I don't know about you. Maybe you're, you're not. Somebody preached on awesome not too long ago. Was it you? Brother Tom. You know, we ought to be awestruck by these things. I'm called to be an amateur creator. He gave me his word that I might be like him. He predestinated me to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is all things that I'm, I'm working out in my life. And it makes every other trial in my life seem insignificant. But something is moving me from the inside. That's the whole new birth. Something is moving within me. You can read through the entire scripture of believers that are wrestling with this whole reality of a supernatural that is within them. Even Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I lay aside the things that are in the past, and I press to Towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's my calling. That's my destination. That's my reality. The rest of the world is just circumstances and trials and different things to mold my character and bring me to that place. Because after the new birth and after after the realization of faith within our life and all of the wrestling that goes with that faith, then that brings us to the character, the process of being able to handle the power. Power that God gives us. Okay. Now, 
I said this is going to be simple. I'm trying to make it simple. I'm not trying to make it deep, but the simple is deep when you talk about God. Brother Ram says in one place, I have the quote here, but I won't turn to it. He says, the problem with people is they just don't get into the spirit of revelation and dig deep enough. And, uh, and that's, therefore they miss so much of what God has for them. So, this is a positive message. It's a message of sonship. It's a message of love. It's a message of victory. That's what this message is. It's not a message of do's and don'ts. It's not a message of telling us how bad we were. We didn't need this message to know how bad we were. I didn't need this message to tell me how rotten I was. I know how rotten I was. I know how bad I felt about the condition I was in. But God sent His Word by my way to tell me, you're mine. Hallelujah. To tell me, I love you. To tell me, I wrote your name in the book before the foundation of the world. And I'm not going to lose you. And I shed my blood for you. And you're written on the palms of my hand. And the devil can't pluck you out of my hand. It's all going to work out right. Just believe me. Just come to the revelation of who you are. Just let me sow my word in you until it is so quickened within your life that you don't even notice what the devil's trying to do to you. Until you just hold your head up in the revelations of God and say, oh, the little things of the devil don't mean nothing. It's all for a purpose. All things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to His purpose. That's the reality of the revelation of God, the greatest love story. Hallelujah. I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't see it any other way. I can't, I can't. Uh, I can't make my preaching, my, the overriding thought of my preaching, now this is personal for me, but I can't make the overriding thought of my preaching to be against something. I'm against this or I'm against that. Listen, those things are going to disappear one day. The overriding thought of my preaching, you know, sometimes you've got to say something that sounds corrective, that's alright, but you know, it's, uh, the overriding thought of my preaching is what He called me to be, what He did for me. How He changed my life. How He changes your life. How you just need to call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Just let Him come into your life. Let Him reveal Himself to you and come down to you personally. Hallelujah. Let God take complete control because this book is a supernatural book. And when you're born again, you begin to understand the supernatural aspect of it. It's not understood by natural minds. The mind of man has never fathomed the mind of God. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so we we can't understand it until we have the nature of the author in us. But when he puts us in possession of the word, it creates in us or within us unlimited promises. Unlimited realities. Why are you at odds with one another? Because you haven't recognized yourself in the Word. Why do you have bad thoughts towards another person? Because you haven't recognized yourself in the Word. 
Why is there these difficulties in life that seem so insurmountable? It's because you haven't recognized the supernatural God in your life that says nothing is insurmountable. And nothing is too hard for God. That all things are possible to them that believe. So what is the answer? It's not to demean yourself. It's to lift up the God that you serve. And walk in the revelation of that God. I was touched by Brother Biscoe's statement at the end of the service this morning. How he talked about how real God is to him. That real God should be real. And I believe is real to every believer. So Brother Branham deals with these, some of these things. I want to talk about a couple of things here. Are you still with me? He says in the message New Ministry in 1959, he's wrestling himself with the scripture, if you say to this mountain. It's right here in the Bible. See, even to prophets, it isn't as simple as, well, it's written, it's therefore easy. No, he had to wrestle it out. What does that really mean? How does it apply? What does it mean to me personally? Not talk about a prophet on Sunset Mountain or a sword in the hand or angels coming down from heaven and seals being opened and all of those. Those are dispensational things. But to me personally, how does it apply? And Brother Branham's dealing with it there and, and uh, thinking about that scripture as he's out in the, in the woods. And he says, all things rested in the atonement. There's no blessing outside of the atonement because we are sinners outside of the atonement. Alright, so now he's, he's showing here now the atonement is what makes the difference in our lives. Outside of the atonement, we're sinners. Through the atonement, we become perfect in the sight of God. He says, if it was just a universal thing for everybody, then everybody would be saved. But it's your attitude towards the blessings of the atonement that brings the blessings to you. All right. Now I could talk on that line for a half an hour. uh, But suffice to say that it's the opening of the word or the revelation personally to you that changes your attitude towards the blessings. All right. So when revelation comes, your attitude changes. All right. Now, he says, like salvation. As far as God was concerned, I was saved when Jesus died. But it'll never do me no good until it's revealed to me that He's the Son of God. And I've accepted Him as my Savior. And every scripture is the same way. He says divine healings for you if God will reveal to you that that's for you. Praise the Lord. You need divine healing tonight, it's for you. But just me telling you that isn't going to get you there. You need to pray, Lord, make it real in my life. It's already paid for. Every sickness has already been abolished by the blood of Jesus Christ. By whose stripes we are healed. It's a finished, complete work. There's nothing the devil can do about it unless he can get you to doubt. But when revelation comes in, doubt leaves. So he says, it's, if God can reveal it to you, that it's for you. But you just can't just stumble at it. It's got to come by revelation. Yeah. 
And when it's revealed that by his stripes you were healed, there's nothing that Satan can even do. As our young brother from Salisbury said, all the devils couldn't move it. Sure, when something is revealed. All right? Revelation. In the message, Warning, Then Judgment, Brother Branham says it this way. He says, it's just like the scripture I often refer to. Now, this is 1963. So this is, one was before the seals, which I just read. Now, this is after the seals. You'll see the attitude doesn't change. He says, the scripture that I so often refer to, if you say to this mountain, be removed and don't doubt, but believe that what you've said will come to pass, you can have what you said. Now, that's altogether controlled on motive and objective, see, or it won't happen. You just can't go out there, and there's many of us that makes many mistakes just going out to say, now I'll show you I got faith to do this. Now I'm giving you some instruction here. Is this okay? All right. He says, I'll show you I got faith to do that. He says, now you're wrong to begin with. God don't give you gifts just to play with it. He says, as I was saying a while ago, he don't show you visions just to play with it. That's nothing to play with. That's sacred. Just use it as the Lord will let you. Be a prisoner to him. No matter how much you want to tell that guy he's wrong and what this, that, or the other, you hold still till God says so. Then when God says so, you can come with thus saith the Lord. Until then, just forget about him. Now why did I read that? Because Brother Brown's talking about motive and objective and faith that lays within us. Now I could read the quote where Brother Brown says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you've got enough power within you to speak worlds into existence and go and live on them. He says, but it's governed by a law and that law is faith. So faith operates the power. So now that faith is the faith that will allow you to move mountains. But many times, he says, people get into a wrong attitude, wrong motive, wrong objective. Now, now I'm going to say this, because what Brother Branham is describing here is the reason that churches split. I want you to listen real close. Because this is, I've, I've been around many church, I've never had one, I never had one in Grand Prairie, thankfully, but I've been around many churches. I was with you folks when the church divided here. I was with Brother Hildebrandt when his church separated a couple of times and, and always was against it. And now, I want you to just listen now that because this is the principle and maybe if this helps one person tonight, I want you to realize how this works. Brother Brown says, he says, you don't go about trying to show what kind of faith or revelation you have just willfully doing it. He says it's based on motive and objective. So then what does he say? He says, no matter how much you want to tell the guy he's wrong, this, that, or the other, he says, you hold still till God says so. Is that right? That's the principle. Even though you might think this, or you might think that, or you might think this is right, or you might think that is right. That it, it, it's not right or wrong until God says so. 
You say, well, Brother Tim, I have a revelation. Yeah, that's what he said. But that revelation must be operated on motive and objective. And, it, and the bride of Jesus Christ has, thus saith the Lord, or she stands still. And so it must be God that makes the statement, the bride has to come to thus saith the Lord. And I, I've seen it in, in many different situations. And, and I realize there isn't this problem here now. There's, there's, there isn't a problem. All right. But, and that's not why I'm saying this. I'm just saying this that maybe... And it's just the way I preach. Sometimes I realize that I preach this here now. It'll inoculate somebody for maybe something they'll encounter down the road. All right. That's what the word of God will do. And so, so many times people will get into an attitude. Well, I see this is against the word. And they talk to this one and they talk to that one. And they, they, it, it begins to form a faction. They had it in the book of Acts. The Jews against the Gentiles. Should they be circumcised? And what should it be? And all of these kind of things. And it brought a division within the church. Why? Because men were congregating with men, women with women, and all sorts of things going on, trying to say, you know, this is the way we see, instead of saying, hold on just a minute, we need to hear from God. We need, thus saith the Lord. That's the principle. So Brother Branham says in Godhead Explained, he says it so well. He says, you must test your motive and objective first. First, find the will of God. Then, find your objective and test your motive and see if your motive is right. Then, as Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, if you say to this mountain, be moved and don't doubt in your heart, but as long as you got doubt in your heart, whether it's the will of God or your motive or objective is wrong, how's it going to move? But when you know that your motive is right and it's the will of God and your objective is right, it's got to move. Hallelujah. It's not to bind you up. It's to loose you. Say, hey, that's all I got to do. That's all you got to do. You're a son or daughter of God, born again by the Spirit of God. Find the will of God. And then once you find the will of God, find, look at seriously at your motive and objectives. As I often speak to young people, I think I spoke it in devotions one time, can you believe God for a Corvette? You know, that strikes with young guys, right? Corvette, or some guys don't like Corvette, or Maserati, or Lamborghini, or whatever more, you know. Can you believe God for those things? And, and some will say, yeah, i got all faith. Believe God for a, a Corvette. Well, then where's your motive and objective? What's the motive that you're believing God for a Corvette? I don't think it's to go in a rapture. Because you're not taking it with you. Right. I don't think your objective is to win souls. Say, well, it might create conversation. I'll be able to witness to somebody. Nonsense. The businessmen tried that. They got up and talked about how many Cadillacs they had and how, many, how much money, God, how God had blessed them since they become a Christian. And Brother Brown says, the world already has that. He says, that's got nothing to do with it. Motive and objective and the will of God. Are you still with me? Amen. I haven't seen anybody walk out yet. Praise the Lord. All right, let's bring it down to where we live here. In case we weren't there already. Brother Ron says, 
He says, the other day, this is in the message Broken Cisterns. He says, the other day over in a little place, he says, I was having a meeting over there in Topeka, Kansas. And there was a boy, a young preacher, one of my first sponsors. And this minister had got under a roof or a place uh, to sidewall. And it mashed him down beneath that. He says, the little fellow was going to die. His liver was bursted. His spleen was knocked out of place. Tons had fallen on him. All right, so here's a man that was going about his work and had got crushed by a wall or something falling on him. And now, now watch how Brother Brown describes this here. Now, I'm sorry to do a lot of reading, but I, I, I'm just using this as just maybe just to, uh, to not maybe preach so much, but maybe to instruct And he says, I said at the breakfast talking to the wife, and I said, wife, you know, if Jesus was here, you know what he'd do? I said, when he sponsored me, I believe, I believe he was, when this preacher sponsored me, I believe that he was sponsoring Christ. And I said, that's a trick of the devil. And if Jesus was here, he'd go lay hands on him, and that boy would get well, and I don't care if his liver was bursted, he'd get well. Because Jesus would walk in there knowing exactly who he was. He knowed his calling, the scriptures was right, vindicating in him that he knowed who he was and not no shadow of a doubt. He'd lay his hands on him and say, son, be well, walk out of there, and there isn't enough devils in hell to kill that boy then. I said he'd get well. But listen now. But I said, you see, honey, that was Jesus, the holy hands of God. And I said, I'm a sinner. I was born sexual birth. My father and mother were both sinners, and I'm just a no good nothing. And that's what we all think. Come on. When confronted with a situation that seems impossible, we remember our past. We remember where we came from. We remember what we were. We know what our parents were. We know that in ourselves dwells no good thing. We know that we have nothing to offer. And so as much as we would like to see that person healed, we ourselves have no ability to heal that person. Amen? And then he says, but you know what? Now he takes it a step further. If the Lord would give me a vision and send me down there, then that'd be different. I'd go down there, lay my hands on him, and he'd come out of that bed if he'd give me a vision. So Brother Branham, recognizing his own humanity, also recognized that a vision would override his view of the will of God. If he could see it in a vision. Now a vision would never change what he thought he was. I want to say that again. A vision would never change what he thought he was. It would only change what he understood to be the will of God. Alright, so he would still look at himself as a sinner saved by grace. He would still have to deal with all of these issues of personal doubts and fears. But yet he'd say, oh, I saw a vision. I'll walk down there, lay hands on him according to the vision. I just believe because of the vision that he'd get well, everything would be perfect. And so then he says, I got to thinking after all, if it, if it was the vision, what was it? It was the same dirty hands on him, the same man praying for him, the same dirty hands. Then I begin to think I am his representative. Then God doesn't see me 
That blood of the righteous one lays up there upon the altar. It makes intercessions for me. He is my sufficiency. He's my prayer. He's my life. The only thing that would make me put my hands on him was faith. Because I had faith in the vision. And without the vision, the same faith would do the same thing. My, my. Now he's saying, it's got nothing to do with who I am. It's got nothing to do with what I think about myself. It's got nothing to do with, with, with any insecurities or, or inferiorities that I think that I have about myself. It has everything to do about me trusting in the perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to make intercession for us was a perfect sacrifice. And there is no blemish in the Lamb. He says, so I can reckon myself nothing but reckon him my all in all. He's my life. He's my commissioner. No denomination sent me. He sent me. Hallelujah. I go in his name. Now I'll lay my hands upon him. He says, I walk down there, lay hands on that boy. And that night he was in the meeting, solid well. Vision? No. Feeling? No. Trusting in himself? No. Know that he was prayed up? No. Know that he was, he was perfect in all of his actions for at least the last 48 hours? No. Faith in one thing. The perfection of the sacrifice. In that and that alone he had faith to go and lay hands on that boy. And that, that young preacher got up and was well and was in the service. Praise be to God. Not because of a man, but because of a perfect sacrifice 2,000 years ago. And faith in that perfect sacrifice. So he goes on and says it this way. I'm a stinker. I'm a renegade. Would you say that about yourself? Brother Branham says, every one of us are. Amen. We can have a collective amen. It's all right. He says, but before God, we are perfect. Hallelujah. He says, be be therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How can you be? Because a perfect one represents us there. That fountain is there every day, fresh. Not some stagnated something, but fresh every day. That washes away all my sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. Amen. The songwriter got it it right. I'm not looking at myself. You can't look at yourself. We're looking at the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the perfect blood that we have faith in. The perfect lamb that was slain at Calvary. Are you ready for a little bit more? Oh, I should close. I should close. We're close. If you give me five more minutes. How many give me five more minutes? Amen. Amen. All right. Just thank you. That's about 45 minutes there. Okay. Okay. Praise the Lord. Is that okay, Brother Cal? <laughs> Church age book. 
Brother Brown says it this way. God did not entrust his plan of salvation to another. He trusted only himself. He didn't entrust it to me. No offense, but he didn't entrust it to Brother Biscoe. He didn't entrust it to Brother Brown. He didn't entrust it to anybody. He entrusted it to himself. All he does is he ascended up on high and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the work of the ministry. For the perfecting of our faith. Till we all come into the unity. Into the fullness of the measure of the Son of God. And all of those things. What for? It's all a part of his plan of salvation. He trusted only himself. God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And redeemed us unto himself. We're saved by the blood of God. Somebody say amen to that. We are saved by the blood of God. The eternal God indwelt a mortal body in order to take away sin. You believe that? These, These are rudimentary things. But yet if you really believe that, you're invincible in the sight of the devil. Hallelujah. He's got nothing against you. You're standing totally spotless in the presence of God. He says he became the lamb in order to shed his blood and enter into the veil with it. And then Brother Branham goes on, since it was the blood of God, it is a perfect blood. Since it was the blood of God, it is a perfect blood. Hallelujah. It's not something that's, oh, it's a nice idea. No, it's a perfect blood. It's a perfect blood. It's a blood that has nothing against it. It's a blood that is all powerful. It is a blood that is everything you have need of. And since he couldn't give you the physical blood, he gave you the life that was in the blood. Amen. He says, and if it's the perfect blood, he says, and if the perfect blood is loosing us from the power and the bondage and defilement of sin, then the loosing is perfect and complete. Amen. Have you accepted the blood of Jesus Christ? By faith, if you have received the atoning work of the blood of Jesus Christ, then that loosing from your sin is perfect. And it is complete. Amen. It's not a work in progress. It's complete. If that life of that blood has come to your soul, you are free from all sin. He that is born of God does not commit sin. Because he has the nature of God within him. He cannot sin. He cannot disbelieve the word of God. He can wrestle against the devil. He can fight. He can have all kinds of thoughts. But in the end of it all, even as Brother Branham, when he lost his wife and his daughter, and he walked down the road and the devil said to him, he says, I'll tell you what, God doesn't even love you. How could he love you and take your wife and daughter? You see, Brother Branham says he couldn't tell me there was no God because I'd seen him. He says, but he had to tell me something different. The devil's a pretty shrewd fellow. And he's walking down the road. And he says, he says, I was about to now in his mind. The thoughts coming into his mind. Yeah, if that's the way he feels. He says, then I won't serve him. If he doesn't love me, why would I serve him? I'll just go out of here and live my own life. He says, that's what come into his mind. He says, but just as that come into his mind, something else came into his mind. 
there was something deep down on the inside of the inside that rose up and said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was an anchor. It was a perfection. All sin, all doubt had been taken away. He might have taken my daughter. He might have taken my wife. But there's a purpose in it somewhere. And I don't care what he does to me. I'm his. I've got a revelation that's anchored my soul and changed my nature. And I can no more walk away from God than I can walk away from myself. Hallelujah. All right. Loosing is perfect and complete. There is therefore now no condemnation. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's our opening scripture. It is God that justifies or declares us righteous. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He says there it is. His death gave us the blood. The blood has loosed us. There is now no condemnation. How can there be? There is nothing to be condemned for. Because the blood has loosed us from sin. We are free. We are guiltless. He says we are guiltless. I'm guiltless. You're guiltless. You are the guiltless bride of Jesus Christ. By accepting the atoning work of the blood of Jesus Christ. That when God recognizes that faith in the blood, He gives you the life of the blood. How wonderful. Now notice Brother Branham said, guiltless, not mistakeless. He said, you're guiltless. You didn't meant to be born this way. You were born in sin, not of your own choosing. You come with a sinful body. You still have an unredeemed body. It's not of your own choosing. If I had my choice when I was born again, I'd like a new body at the same time. No more temptation. No more trials. No more suffering in a new body. But God so chose it that way that I would be molded in my character. That I would have a body that would actually actually tempt me on a daily basis to make mistakes. But even though I make mistakes, I stand guiltless. Because there's a blood, a bleeding sacrifice that I have accepted as sufficient price for all my mistakes. And the nature of that blood dwells within me which says when I do make a mistake, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I shouldn't have done it. Forgive me. So what is guilt? You're guiltless. Guilt is the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. Guilt, if you're guilty of something, but you can't be guilty of something if you're justified. So then what happens? Where there's a crime, there's a punishment. But when Jesus went to Calvary, our punishment was taken and paid. The price for all of our sin was paid 2,000 years ago. And that's when when I accept the blood, I accept that that was sufficient price. It's not the blood and something I need to pay for. Even though when I do something wrong, I feel sorry for it. 
Don't, don't, don't be mistaken. If you've got the life of God in you, you regret the mistakes that are driven by this sinful flesh all the time. There, there is that natural, almost paradox within our lives as a believer. But yet in the midst of it all, there's a life with, on the inside of the inside that's driven by love. That's driven by overcoming. That's driven by a revelation. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter of God. There's something driving us to say, I must live higher. I'm not satisfied to live at this low level. And every little situation that we find ourselves in that we're not happy with must be overcome by the revelation of the Word. If there's something eating at you this morning, or this evening, ask God for revelation. So the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of God, paid the price for sin, all sin, to those who believe. Then we stand guiltless. Hallelujah. Every sin. Are you over 90, Brother Frank? 90 years of mistakes, all paid for. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You might be 17 years old. Anybody 17 here? 17 years old. You might think, well, I'm only 17. I haven't done much wrong yet. Let me tell you something. When you've been down the road a little ways, no offense, Brother Frank, but you realize, oh, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But you know what? They're all paid for. Hallelujah. He saw them all before I ever made them. And he knew I would need one thing, the blood of a perfect sacrifice. So Brother Branham says, I'm coming to a close here. Matter of fact, I think the musicians can come. He says, by one spirit we're all baptized into one body and become members of that body. And then it's not what I've done or what I am or who I was or nothing about it. It's what God has done for me in Christ. We are perfected with our sacrifice. He makes no mistakes. Somebody say amen to that. Our God makes no mistakes. Then he wouldn't bring you in if you wasn't worthy. You don't deserve the blood, but he saw you as deserving of the blood. Because you were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. He knows what you are. There's traps all along the road. The devil will cause you to stumble and say, God, I didn't mean to do that. God, you know that. You're still perfect. Because there's a perfect blood offered for you every day. And a bleeding sacrifice hanging before the throne of Almighty God. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Just could you play I Have a Maker? I was uh, in my office this week. Just here in the church, in the office. And uh, there's a little mother brought her son in. Wife of one of our deacons, actually, Brother Sam. His wife, his son Thomas, came into the office. Thomas had some pain. He had pain in his chest. He had had real pain on the weekend. And uh, he went to school on Monday. Monday. 
but yet the pain was too great and he asked his mom to come pick him up she came picked him up if I get the story right she took him to the doctor and the doctor examined him and saw it wasn't fluid on the lungs or anything like that it was something I think said something about the chest cavity or something and uh, and so you know seemed to be subsiding and so well, Thomas went to school the next day, Tuesday. And the pain began to build up again. And uh, till it was really incapacitating him, if I could say it that way. He was really, really couldn't study, really couldn't. He needed to go home. And so he called his mom again. And his mom, just simple faith, Sister Rebecca, that's all it takes. She just decided, you know, I'm here. Why don't I just stop by the office? She saw Brother Tom's car was there. And uh, so she came in, and but Brother Tom was tied up on a phone call. And so they just, I can't remember if they knocked on my office door or I just ran into them or I can't remember how it worked. But they said, Brother, she said, Brother Tim, would you mind just praying for Thomas? She says, uh, I was going to have Brother Tom pray for him, but he's busy. I said, sure. sure. What seems to be the problem? She explained the problem. I said, well, let me get some anointing oil. And so I finally had the door here to the sanctuary was open because they were uh, doing some rearranging. And so I said, well, let's go in the sanctuary. So we came right up here, right up to the front. And we just, I just took the anointing oil here, anointed him with oil, and began to pray for him. I just began to look to the Lord and, as I always do for anybody that I pray for, quote the promises back to God. Lord, you said. Lord, you said if they lay their hands on the sick. Lord, you say if they anoint them with oil. Lord, you said by your stripes he's healed. Lord, you said. Now, praying that actually didn't feel a thing. Didn't feel like it was particularly inspired. Didn't feel particularly anointed. Nothing. But I just thought, well, I've done what the word said. And I finished praying. Had a word of prayer with Sister Rebecca. And off they went. Off they went. I, I just stood there. Then the devil came. Said, yeah, yeah. Nothing happened. Said, that, that's just, you know, you know you didn't feel anything. It's just, I, and I just, I just rejected him. I said, no. I says, I did what the word said. And I'm a believer. And I'm leaving it there. That night, Brother Sam called me. And he said, Brother Sam will remember. He says, you know, Brother Tim, I just want to thank you for praying for Thomas. I said, that's all right, Brother Sam. That's what we do. You know, I thought he was just calling to thank me. And I said, that's what we do. We pray for each other. You'd pray for me. I pray for you. I said, we're just believers. You don't have to thank me for that. He says, well, I want to share the testimony. He said, uh, when you he said when Thomas came in Thomas told him this he says when he came into the sanctuary he said the pain got worse he says as you were praying for him the pain got even worse until he I don't know if he thought he was going to collapse or, or he was, it's got very very intense he says and then you came to the end and you said in the name of Jesus Christ amen he says and he felt a click and it completely left him. 
and he hasn't felt it since. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise be to God. I didn't heal him. Even, I could say it wasn't even my own feelings that had anything to do with it. According to my feelings, there was nothing. But this word is the truth. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen. By his word, we have been quickened. And it's a reality to the believer. It's not a feeling, it's a substance. It's not something you can figure out or work yourself up into. It's either there or it isn't there. And if it's there, there's nothing you need to do about it. You ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. The promises of God are yea and amen. He's still a miracle working God. And I said to Brother Sam, I said, you just tell uh, Thomas that God did a miracle for him personally. The lovely Lord Jesus did something for that boy that he'll never forget the rest of his life. He's a personal God. We heard about that this morning. He's still a personal God today. You have a maker. He knows your heart. Let's sing that together. I have a
bow our heads together. Brother Branham said, what would the vision do? He says, all it would do would it be the same faith. He said, but it'd be the same dirty hands. Be the same person laying hands on them. So the vision wouldn't change anything. And many times when people would come to a service and Brother Branham would be there, they so loved it if he say, this is your name. But he knows your name. Do you believe that tonight? He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows your difficulties. He knows your battles. He knows exactly what the situation is. And because he knows that and he loves you, do you have enough love back to him to say, Lord, you know my heart. You know my need. It doesn't take, you know, we, I, I shared a testimony. It just happened to me. Pray for him. It could have been anybody pray for Thomas. But it was the Lord Jesus Christ that did it for him. And so it doesn't matter to be prayed for by myself, Brother Biscoe, or anybody else. To be spoken to, to be given a word. Those things are all wonderful, but the bottom line is you need a revelation. And if you're lacking here tonight, if you're desiring, if you're needy, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and you say, and you want to be honest with God and say, Lord, I need a revelation. I'm going through this situation and I need a revelation. That's going to give me the answer of how to overcome this. That's going to loose the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and give me the victory and give me that which I have need of. Why don't you just raise your hand to Him as we are going to have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that you see my heart and what it was that I was desiring to accomplish by the burden that you have put on my heart to take the people to a place of their personal revelation with Jesus Christ not relying upon the preacher or even the atmosphere of the service or not necessarily hands laying on them or an altar call or a prayer line and all of those things Lord you said we could do those are all things that your prophet did and those are all perfectly good things but in all of it, Lord, what's most needed is revelation. Your prophet said the importance of revelation cannot be overemphasized. Oh, Heavenly Father, there's hands that are raised. They're saying, Lord, drop a revelation in my heart. Quicken it to me, O oh Lord. Not that you know my situation. I know that you know my situation. But Lord, I pray that you'll drop something to me. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. Lord, it might be just an anchoring on the inside of the inside that you're in control of my situation. And that you're going to work it out. And you're going to see to it, Lord. We might be in the depths of a, a valley of the shadow of death. We might be in the depths of a, a valley of a trial, Lord. And, and things, it seems like maybe there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But Lord, nevertheless, as the psalmist said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And Lord, may you drop that into somebody tonight that maybe's in that valley. And say, don't fear, I'm with you. 
Don't fear, I'm watching over your footsteps. I'm going to guide you through this. There's a journey you have to go on for the perfecting of your character. But don't be scared, I'm with you. Oh Lord, pour that into somebody's heart tonight. Oh Father, make that real. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that's sick. May even now, the revelation that you are their healer. That by your stripes they are healed. May it drop into their life right now. And may they walk out of here in perfect faith. With an assurance that I know the God of my healing. Just as much as I know the God of my salvation. And Lord, if there's even one soul here tonight that says, I don't know this God. But I feel something. I'm moved by something tonight. There's something in me pulsating. That's a predestinated seed gene. If there's something in you that's saying you need this, then I want to tell you it's the Holy Spirit telling you that. Why don't you just surrender your life? Oh God, may they just surrender their lives tonight and give themselves to you, Lord. For you are everything that we have need of. Lord, we love you. Lord, bless the word to the people's hearts. Lord, may you in the days ahead bring the remembrance of these things. Your prophet spoke so many things that were never spoken anywhere else, Lord. Oh, Savior, we thank you for this message which you spoke yourself through the mouth of a prophet that we might receive you, not the thoughts of a prophet, but the thoughts of God. Thank you, Lord, for the light in our hour. How we love you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hallelujah. Could we sing that song, My Jesus, My Savior, there? Shout to the Lord. My Jesus. Make it personal tonight to Him. Just shut yourself in with Him. My Jesus.